0: Friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. God's word right now, so may I request everybody to please rise from their seats and let's take a look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. At the count of three, let's all read together aloud, please. 1, 2, read. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigionoth Lord, I have heard a report about you and I fear. O Lord, rev- revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Salah. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of His praise. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You once again for this wonderful Sunday morning, O God. We, we honor Your greatness. We honor Your power. We honor, Lord, your faithfulness in our lives. And we just rejoice in the fact that we could gather together with your people and rejoice in you and worship you because you truly deserve it. And once again, we pray, Lord, that in your mercy, you might speak to your people, most especially to those hidden needs that we might have in our hearts. And so we pray that you might address them. We pray, O Lord, that the Holy Spirit will move mightily in our midst. I pray for myself, O God, that I might be a conduit, a blessing to your people through the empowering of your Spirit. Allow me to teach clearly. Allow me, Lord, to speak clearly as well. And whatever is going to be achieved today, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, The Glory of God's Ways. Now, how many here would agree with me that the ways of God are glorious and perfect? Could you please raise your hands? Amen. Of course, we do believe that God's ways are absolutely perfect. There are no flaws. There are no errors. There, are no, there is no ugliness whatsoever when it comes to the ways of God. And yet, at times, from a human standpoint, we are unable to see the glory of God's ways. Perhaps we're looking at our problems, we're looking at the adversities that we are going through, and so we are unable to look up and see that God has a good plan for us. And this was exactly the case with Habakkuk. God had plans for the nation of Israel. God had plans in so far as the global uh, world was concerned. But unfortunately, Habakkuk was unable to see the wisdom of God in those ways. And sometimes we could be in the same place. We could be in the place wherein we have questions and doubts, maybe even with the person and the work and the ways of God. And that's because we don't see things from God's perspective. And it is here that it is very important that we be able to exercise faith and trust in the Lord. Because after all, the God that we serve is a good God and He is a sovereign God. He rules over all and whatever it is that He is doing, we know that it comes out of His good character. And later on, we find that Habakkuk was able to see, finally, he was able to see the good work of God. He was able to see the ways of God. And this is reflected in the prayer that we find here in this passage. Actually, the whole of chapter 3 is a prayer and it is also a song. Now, we will begin talking about that prayer in verses 1 to 3. So allow me to outline for you what you and I will be talking about for today. So again, we're going to talk about the prayer of Habakkuk, at least the introductory section. And first of all, we're going to talk about God's way. And under that, there is an understanding and reverence and submission to God's way. And then the second sub point would be cooperating for God's will to be done. And finally, you have requesting for mercy in God's will now the second part talks about God's glory so God's way and then God's glory and then here under we find God's glory in the past and then also God's glory in the present so let's go straight away to God's way at this time and first of all let's begin with his prayer in verse 1 it goes a prayer of Habakkuk according to Shigionoth. Now, some of you are probably wondering what's that word, Shigionoth, when in fact there's no uh, transliteration in English. Well, this word is actually somewhat obscure. In Hebrew, it is the plural of the noun that appears elsewhere, particularly in Psalm verse 7, and it comes in a rather different form. And it comes out in this form, Shigayon. All right? In the NIV version. It seems to be related to a verb, meaning to reel to and from. All right? Now, some see this, most Bible scholars see this as an erratic song of enthusiastic irregularity sometimes used in songs of victory and triumph. So I think the most important thing to remember in so far as this word is concerned is that it is a song of victory and a song of triumph now this therefore was a song of personal victory on the part of habakkuk why because now finally after much probing he was able to see the mind of god he was able to see the wisdom of god the perfection of god's ways and again hopefully If you and I are still in a place of confusion and doubt, we might arrive at the same place that Habakkuk arrived. That is a place of trust and a place of worship before the Lord. A few years ago, I had my own song of victory. Uh, My father passed away uh, several years back. But I recall the time when he had his stroke when he was in the United States. My father was an American citizen. He was a war veteran. That is why he was awarded American citizenship. His plan actually was to bring the whole family there. And he was asking me and uh, my brother, Jess, whether we were willing to go to him or to go with him to the United States. And we said, no dad, our place is here in the Philippines. We believe that God has called us here to minister. Anyway, what happened was he had a stroke, and uh, unfortunately, at that time, he was alone. And um, my cousin arrived sometime in the afternoon. He had a stroke in the morning, and uh, my cousin arrived in the afternoon. So, he dialed 911, and so uh, an ambulance came, and he was brought to Daniel Freeman Hospital. And... At that time, he said his, his hospital room, his window was actually facing the cemetery uh, of that, you know, in that area in California. And he said he would see people going there every day and they would be burying their dead. And my father began to think, is this where I'm going to die? Is this where I am going to be buried? Of course, in his heart, he was dreaming that he would still be able to come back home to the Philippines and die here. And so he was in prayer. And thankfully, I was able to fetch him uh, in California, bring him back here uh, in the Philippines. And he tried to recover, of course, but he was never the same person because he was paralyzed um, with, his, with the left side of his body. And so he gained a little mobility, but he was never the same Again, And I saw my father suffer because his kidney uh, was damaged. And so he had to go through dialysis for, you know, for, for years, actually. Every week he had to go to Veterans Hospital when he was already in Manila. And I recall the time when it was December, and I think I called him up. And he said if we could go and visit him. He wanted to see his grandchildren. I feel a bit of guilt because at that time, our finances were quite tight, and so I told my dad that, you know, as much as I want to visit you, I don't think I can because our finances are tight at this time, not knowing that January of the following year, just a few weeks separating that request, he would die and pass away. So I I have that in my heart, a sense of guilt that I did not give in to his request. Anyway, having said that, um, I was assigned one day in the funeral parlor, and I was alone by myself. And practically the whole day or afternoon, I was just staring at my father's face and body. I missed him so much. But... At the same time, in my heart, I knew that his suffering was over and that he was in the very presence of the Lord. So my feelings were quite ambivalent. I was missing him, but at the same time, I knew that he was enjoying himself in the presence of the Lord. And that, to me, was victory for him, and that was also victory for me, knowing what he had gone through. And you know what? In the early days when a Christian died, when a believer died, it was actually called a day of victory. And in our lives, we have days of victory. It may not be just simply the passing away of a saved loved one. It might be because you have, you have conquered temptation or maybe it's because you now perceive things correctly. And because of that, you have experienced a day of victory. That was exactly what happened here in the case of Habakkuk. And with the revelations that were given to him by God, Habakkuk now entered into prayer. But this time, his prayer was different. If you have been following me in our study of Habakkuk in chapter 1, his prayer was actually a prayer of complaint. He was questioning the ways of God. And that is why some Bible scholars actually call Habakkuk the eternal why, because he was always asking why, why, and why. But now, you will notice that the tone of his prayer changes. In chapter 3, instead of complaining and questioning the ways of God, now it is a prayer of trust and worship. And I'm hoping once again that if you and I are in a rock, rocky and hard place in life, you will arrive at the place wherein you will pray to God and your prayer will not be a prayer of complaining. It will not be a prayer of questioning the ways of God, but it would be a prayer of trust and worship. Now obviously what had happened here is that Habakkuk was satisfied as he probed the ways of God. God gave him the answers and he became satisfied. And I'm sure that you can relate to this. There are times wherein we're asking God for certain things, and God, in his goodness, answers our prayers. You know, as a pastor, I've gone through many battles. Ever since I started ministry, I've really gone through a lot of battles and a lot of wars. And You know, that really doesn't surprise me because after all, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we are in a spiritual warfare. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, and principalities in the heavenly places. But you know what? I've always come out in one piece in those battles and in those wars. And I'm really so thankful to God that God is really true to his promise when he says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And obviously during those times you start praying to God, you start trusting him, you start start worshiping him for all the things that he has done. Having said that, however, It's so easy to actually praise God after a time of deliverance. But how will it be with you when you are still in that place of affliction? In that place wherein you're still struggling, would you still be able to worship God? And I think for most of us, it's really very difficult. In fact, I recall a time, and this is a testimony which I believe glorifies the Lord, my sister-in-law, the, the wife of my brother Jess, passed away nine years ago. And my wife and I were actually refreshed by those events because my niece did a vlog in tribute to her mother. And there were certain videos that we saw, actually. I think we saw them previously, but didn't pay much attention to it. But when Leica edited it, It was so wonderful and many of the videos that were shown on that vlog were not shown in public. This was really the first time it was shown in public. Now some of you who know her know that she had breast cancer and it had metastasized to the point that her sisters who were, her sisters and her family who were in the United States brought her to Houston for further treatments but to no avail. Uh, It got worse and worse until finally God took her home in a hospice uh, somewhere in Texas as well. But you know what? What is indeed inspiring about my sister-in-law's life was she did not complain. She did not grumble against God. And she, she, she was telling the people, there was this particular video wherein she was with her relatives and she was saying, don't, in, in, in my own words, she was saying, don't blame God. Don't get angry with God. But trust the Lord. Don't worry about me because I'm not worried. Don't, don't feel pity for me because I don't pity myself. She was victorious in all of that. She was constantly laughing. You would even see in that video, she was dancing. And she was still full of life, even though her body was beginning to break down in fact you would see the palm of her hand it was already very dark in fact very black because of the chemotherapy and one uh, staff from uh, the hospital actually said you've you've gone through a lot and yet you know what she was saying what is this in comparison to the sufferings of my savior for her in spite of the difficulties that she was going through, she was still worshiping the Lord. And I would like to enjoin you, brothers and sisters. I don't know where you are exactly in your life. I'm sure there are some of us who are going through trials. But my prayer to God is that you would have the same attitude of worshiping the Lord, not because of your circumstances, but in spite of of your circumstances. They may be good circumstances. They may be bad circumstances. But in the end, brothers and sisters, God is really testing our hearts and trying to find out, are we going to worship Him in spite of the difficulties and adversities that we go through? And I think that actually is greater worship. Let me share with you also a story in the book, 450 Stories for Life. Gus Anderson tells about visiting a church in a farming community of eastern Alberta, Canada where there had been eight years of drought. The farmers were deep in debt and their economic situation looked hopeless. In spite of their poverty, however, many of them continued to meet together to worship and praise God. Anderson was especially impressed by the testimony of one of these farmers dressed in overalls and an old coat probably the best clothes he had the man stood up and he quoted habakkuk chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 and it goes with deep meaning he said although the fig tree shall not blossom neither shall fruit be in the vines the labor of the olive oil shall fail and the field shall yield no food. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Anderson thought that that dear saint had found the secret to real joy. The book of Habakkuk shows to us that if we just care to trust and wait upon the Lord, He will pull us through. Amen. How many believe that? If we just wait and trust the Lord, He will pull us through. And whatever question, questions and doubts we have in our minds, God will prepare an answer for all of them. Now, one of the things that I also see here in this particular prayer is the humility on the part of Habakkuk. Why do I say that? Because again, as we mentioned in Habakkuk chapter one, he was complaining to God. He was wondering, Lord, why aren't you doing anything about the injustice here in Jewish society? And then later on, when when God reveals that he's going to punish Judah by using evil Babylon, he started to complain again. And he was asking the Lord, why? Why, Lord? But now, having seen the wisdom of God's ways, he now humbles himself. Sadly, for a lot of people, when God makes His will clear to them, they still fail to respond in repentance and in humility. And friends, let me just encourage you by saying that in life, we do make failures. I have failed many times in my Christian life. Even up to today, I do fail the Lord. But you know what? The most important thing for us is not so much the falling down because we will all fall. What is important is the rising up. What is important is that when God shows to us where you and I are wrong, we come before Him in repentance. And I assure you, as First John says, the blood of Jesus Christ will cover all of our sins. We will be forgiven for all of that. And that's why it's very important, brothers and sisters, to rise up from where you and I have fallen. I'm reminded of the story of a pastor. Actually, this pastor was a good friend of mine. But he had a season of darkness in his life. What had happened was he was assigned in the Middle East. And... Unfortunately, his wife wasn't able to join him at that time. Maybe it was a short-term missions work. But what had happened was uh, he fell into temptation. He met his Bathsheba, who happened to be the concubine of the king of that Middle Eastern country. And to make a long story short, he had actually decided that he would leave his wife. So he comes back home with this luxury car, luxury car, and with 10,000 U.S. dollars. And he was telling his wife, I'm going to leave you. His wife, however, was a strong Christian. And she said, I will wait for you. I will wait for you. And true enough, those words convicted his heart. And to make a long story short, he decided that it was not right what he was doing. And then he left this concubine, this this woman, and he returned back to his wife, went back into ministry after a time of discipline, and now he's still being used of the Lord. And again, it happened. How How was he restored? Well, he was restored because he repented. Unfortunately, some people do not repent. Just this week, um, one of our former pastors came to my office and for, there was a season of rebellion. He left us and he abandoned the living word for some time. But he wrote us a letter that he now came to a realization that he was spiritually immature, that he was rebellious, and that he did not see things clearly. And he said, God has dealt with with my soul, and he has shown me where I was wrong. And he was saying, I apologize for all the things that I have done, and could you please, could you please accept me back again? And so he came over to the office, and I said, welcome back, welcome back. And you know, that's always been the case. Again, the important thing is not so much the failures, because we all do fail. But the big question is, do we repent? Do we admit Where we have fallen, do we admit where we have failed? And when we do that, brothers and sisters, God will just embrace us with His loving arms. And again, that is what happened in the case of Habakkuk. Whenever we find ourselves in a wrong or sinful position, we should humbly seek God's face. And what was it that humbled uh, Habakkuk. Well, what humbled him was the fact that he saw the wisdom, finally, of God's ways. So, let's take a look at verse 2 right now. And here we find Habakkuk's understanding, reverence, and submission to God's ways. I'd like to read verse 2 at this time. It says, Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear." Now, what does it mean here when he says, I have heard the report about you? Well, actually, what this means within context is that Habakkuk heard God's answers. Remember, he was always asking why, 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 and what was God doing? God, in His graciousness, answered him point by point. Every question That he had was answered by the Lord. So what he actually means here, when he says, I heard your report, he was saying, Lord, I have heard your answers to my questions. Habakkuk now realized the wisdom and the righteousness of God's ways in spite of the fact that he was going to use Babylon, which was actually a more evil nation, to chastise the nation of Judah or the southern kingdom of Israel. He saw the wisdom of God's ways because finally he was able to see the entirety of the picture. That although God was going to use Babylon, Babylon also was going to be judged by God. And so he saw the justice of God. But one very important point I'd like to point out. Notice he said, I have heard. That tells us that if you and I want to remove ourselves from confusion and from doubts, it is very important to listen to God. And if I were to ask you, do you have a daily habit of listening to God? I would assume, and I don't want to embarrass you, I would assume that many of us don't really listen to God at all. We may be praying every single day, but we may not be listening to Him. And I think that's rather unfortunate because our God is a communicating God. He is a speaking God. He speaks to us every day. In fact, one of the prayers we find in the book of Isaiah is that the prayer is for this person to have a disciple's ear. And that's what you and I need to have because the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. So if we hear His voice, that means our Savior speaks to us. Now to some Reformed and Evangelical Bible scholars, they think it is a laughable matter to listen to God because they believe, The canon of Scripture has been completed. You have the Old Testament. You have the New Testament. You don't need to hear the voice of God. Now, when it comes to the revelation of God, listen well. The revelation of God is complete. We cannot add anything to what God has already written down for us in the Old and in the New Testament. But what the Old and the New Testament gives to us would be the general will of God. However, here's the situation. We will not find, for example, in the Old and the New Testament whom we're supposed to get married with. You and I will not find out from the Bible if we're supposed to take a job offer. You and I will not read in the Scriptures whether we would take this business opportunity. In other words, when it comes to decision-making on specific details, the Bible will not give that to you. So, if we are going to come up with a reasonable, logical, correct decision, we will have to pay attention to God. And God will lead us, and He will tell us that this is the right person to marry. He will tell us that We can take this job offer because it is His will. Or He may tell us not to take this this business opportunity because it will not be good for us. So listening to God is very important. It could actually prove to be the boon or the bane of some people. It could be, you know, the crossroads wherein you make it right or you make the wrong decision. That's why we have to listen to God. I'm just so thankful to God for Jerry Bridges. Jerry Bridges is very, a very respected Bible scholar among the Reformed people and among the evangelicals. And he wrote this book, which I would like to recommend, by the way. This was not included in my sermon manuscript, but I got to read this book. This is a book by Jerry Bridges, and the title of the book is God Took Me by the Hand. and. Interestingly, he talks about listening to God. I'd just like to read to you two paragraphs from here, and I'd like you to pay attention because what he has to say as a respected Bible scholar is very important. By the way, he was the author of that book, The Pursuit of Holiness, which sold more than one million copies. That's how popular he is, and that is why his... His opinion carries a lot of weight. So let me just read this to you, just a short portion. He says, the third way the Holy Spirit instructs or guides us is through precise words planted in our minds. So precise that it seems as if another person is speaking to us. I call this the inaudible voice of the Holy Spirit. I know this way is controversial, and many people whom I respect are adamant that the Holy Spirit never communicates this way. Their objection is that such phenomena would be equated to divine revelation on a par with Scripture. But divine revelation, by definition, adds new content by which God reveals truths for the whole church. So in other words, again, what what he is pointing out here is that when when we say we need to listen to God, we're not really adding to what the Bible has already revealed. He is simply saying that we're seeking the guidance of God when it comes to specific decisions we have to make in our own lives. For example, if you're praying to go abroad, I think you should be praying, Lord, is it your will for me to go abroad? If you're going to to take on a job, and let's just say there are five opportunities for you. Obviously, there's one that is the perfect will of God for you. Now, the question is, will you simply decide on the basis of reason? Or would you simply decide on the basis of which one has a better offer financially? Now, some of us would say, well, this this offer gives me a bigger salary, so I'm going to get it. The question is, is it the will of God? It may not be God's will for you. It may not be good for you in the end. So that's the point of, of uh, Jerry Bridges. And he continues on in the second paragraph. What I am saying is that the Holy Spirit sometimes speaks to us in that inaudible voice by way of illumination or application of Scripture to one's personal life that's why again think about this why was there a change in the tone of the prayer of Habakkuk when in fact in Habakkuk chapter 1 he was complaining to God why is it right now that in Habakkuk chapter 3 He is now praising the Lord. He is now rejoicing in the Lord. He is now worshiping God. Why the change of tone? The change of tone came about because he was listening to God. He heard the voice of God. He heard the answer of God. It gave clarity in his thinking. He saw the perspective of God. He saw the viewpoint of God. And as a result of that, he began to worship the Lord. And that would happen to us as well. I don't know what you're going through at this time, what struggles you have, what difficulties you have, but ask God, Lord, what are you doing in this situation? And I guarantee you, if you're really paying attention, He will speak to you. He will guide you. And what a wonderful way to be able to walk in the wisdom of God. Listening to God is a prerequisite for true, effective prayer. Again, why was Habakkuk able to pray correctly in chapter 3? Because he listened to God. Now, how many here want to pray correctly? Raise your hands, please. All right. We want to pray correctly. Because in the end, in the end, listen well, it's the will of God that prevails. Amen? Amen. It's not our will that prevails. It's the will of God that prevails. And so the most wise thing for us to do is to pay attention to what God has to say and He will speak. Now, listen to what Warren Worsby has to say. Again, a well-known Bible scholar. He goes, it's marvelous when we learn to close our mouths and open our ears and listen for the voice of God. Every Christian should be able to say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. The prophet wanted to hear the word of God, and God spoke to him. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 says, And the Lord answered me and said, And then God spoke to him and told him about judgment and about his promises. So he heard the word of God, which is what he wanted to do. And what did hearing the word of God do to him? It produced faith. And faith produced correct prayer. What does the Bible say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Sometimes the reason why we do not see the wisdom of God's ways and the glory of God's ways is because we don't have faith. We don't trust him. And friends, let me tell you this. God is not going to work in an atmosphere of unbelief. He wasn't able to do any miracles in Nazareth because they were thinking he was just an ordinary man, a carpenter who was raised up in their own neighborhood. So they did not believe that he could do anything at all. And guess what? He did not do anything. Not that... He was incapable of performing miracles. Not that He was less powerful than we think Him to be, but He did not do anything because there was no faith. And that's why, friends, let me just encourage you. If you are in a position of worry and anxiety, replace that with faith and trust in the Lord. Because when you trust God, things will begin to happen. God will begin to give clarity to you. And then you will be able to operate in a way wherein you are able to worship God. Because now you understand His will perfectly. Again, going back to uh, what Habakkuk experienced. Habakkuk initially failed to see everything from beginning to end. The only thing he saw was the judgment of God upon Judah through evil Babylon. He did not see the fact that later on, Babylon would be judged by God himself. And so again, it's only when you see the complete picture that you will begin to understand the wisdom of God's ways. And the result of that, of course, is worship. Again, let me tell you this. The failure is not with God. The failure is in our comprehension. The failure is in our perception. God never, ever fails. Amen? God is always victorious. Amen? He never fails. He always does exactly what needs to be done according to His person and according to to his attributes. Now, what was the result of God's answers to Habakkuk? The the result was reverence and submission. And it is seen in the phrase when he said, and I fear. I have heard the report of you, and I fear. And ultimately, that's what God wants. Brother Giorgio Santiago was, was talking about worship. The Father is seeking for worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let me tell you this. You and I were wired by God to worship Him. This is one of the most basic and the most important things that you and I have to imbibe in our hearts. Many times we fail to understand that we were created by God to worship Him. Again, Romans eleven thirty six. 36, from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. God created us for worship. And, and the big question is, are we worshiping Him? Or are we just using God as a vendor machine in our lives? Are we simply using God to be a blessing in our lives so that we could procure healing, so that we could have resources, so that we could get a promotion? Friends, God is good and He will give all those things. But in the end, what is most important on the part of God is our worship. That is what He wants. That is what He is seeking from us. And unless we come to the place where you and I are worshiping God, we are falling short in our Christian lives. We're not doing exactly what God wants us to do. Because in the end, it's all about the glory of God and the worship of God. And that's why, again, this book has, a, has an awesome ending because it ends with worship. And you know, when you understand what God is doing, you will now begin to cooperate for God's will to be done. And we see that, again, in, in this verse. Notice, let me just read uh, the following phrase. It says, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. Now, what exactly was Habakkuk talking about when he was saying revive thy work? Was he talking about a revival meeting? Was he talking about spiritual revival? Actually, based on the context, it's not talking about spiritual revival. What he, in fact, was saying here was he was saying, Lord, I agree with you right now. I agree with you that you need to, to let Babylon judge us. And so, Lord, because I agree with you, Lord, bring it on. Bring it on, Lord. Fulfill your will. Let your work be done, O God. I, I cooperate with you. I align myself with you. Do exactly as you have designed it to be, Lord. I'm not, going, I'm not going to be an adversary. I'm not going to contradict your will. I will cooperate with your will. We need to arrive at the place that the Lord Jesus Christ arrived at in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he said, not my will, Lord, but thy will be done. And so what Habakkuk was saying here was, Lord, proceed on with what you have planned. If it is to judge Judah, then so be it. Now, just a sidebar here. Is it all right to pray for judgment? Is it, is it all right to pray for judgment? And my answer to that is yes. For as long as we are not praying as a matter of personal vendetta, it is all right to pray an imprecatory prayer, a prayer of judgment. And why? Why should we pray for judgment? Because of our high view of the holiness and the justice of God. So it is right only for us to pray that prayer. However, if you're merely praying for judgment because you got hurt, or because you have experienced some form of injustice in your life, then it becomes wrong. Because the Bible, in fact, says that we are to love our enemies. The Bible, in fact, says that we are to bless those who curse us. So our response when it comes to our personal hurt, when it comes to our personal hurt, is is love. Love covers transgressions. But when the justice of God is touched, when the holiness of God is touched, when the church of Jesus Christ is touched, when the work of God is touched, then it is only right for us to pray an imprecatory prayer because it is no longer about us. It is now all about the Lord. And so again, just a sidebar, just to clarify certain things. Now, we need to remember that in so far as the judgment of Judah was concerned, it was the work of God. Clearly, the book of Habakkuk says it's the work of God. And if it's the work of God, in the end, it's all about God's goodness. Amen? It's all about God's goodness. Now, listen well. I don't know if some of you have gone astray sometime in your life or you backslid for a certain season. Isn't it true that during those dark seasons in your life, when you backslid, God somehow disciplined you? How many have experienced that? Could you raise your hands? All right. About half of us have experienced that. The rest have always been, been good people all their lives. Never been disciplined. Hallelujah. So can we do it again? How many here have experienced the discipline of God? All right. There you go. You know, the Bible says liars go to hell. So we don't want to lie. There have been seasons of unfaithfulness, there have been seasons of backsliding, there have been seasons of failure, and during those times, we experience the discipline of God. Sometimes God would bring difficult circumstances, and what was He trying to do there? He was trying to open our eyes, He was trying to open our minds, trying to open our hearts. Because at times we're, we're blindsided by our own sins and our own failures. We have this inner lawyer inside of us that continually justifies our wrong actions. We so easily exonerate ourselves and say, Well, you know what? I'm justified in doing this. I'm justified in feeling like this. I'm justified in having this attitude. Not so quick. Let us allow the Word of God to really examine our true spirituality. And when we see where we are wrong, the only option for us is to repent and submit ourselves to God. And you and I have seen that the discipline of God has always produced righteousness in us. Amen? It has always produced righteousness. In us, And we are to be thankful to the Lord for that. Now, here we find Habakkuk, aside from uh, agreeing with the wisdom of God, he says, Lord, make your wisdom known. Make it known. He wanted the whole world to know that God is infinitely wise. Now, how many of you believe that God is infinitely wise? Could you raise your hands, please? Amen. Let me just share to you something uh, to show to you the wisdom of God's ways. And it's in creation. Listen up. Because nature is clouded by sin, it gives only an indistinct picture of God. Much of his great wisdom and marvelous design, however, can still be clearly traced. For instance, the earth rotates on its axis at approximately. 1,000 miles per hour. If that had been only 100 miles per hour, listen well, our days and nights would be 10 times longer. And our planet would alternately burn and freeze. Under such circumstances, vegetation could not survive. If the earth were as small as the moon, the power of gravity would be too weak to retain sufficient atmosphere for man's needs. But if earth were as large as Jupiter, Saturn, or Uranus, extreme gravitation would make human movement almost impossible. You will not be able to move from your place. It will be so difficult. Can you imagine if gravity was so hard? What kind of a life would that be? If we were as near to the sun as Venus, the heat would be unbearable. If we were as far away as Mars, we would experience snow and ice every night even in the warmest regions, even in Cebu, there will be snow. Somebody said, yes. If the oceans were half their present dimensions, we would receive only one-fourth the rainfall we do now. If they were one-eighth larger, our annual precipitation would increase fourfold And this earth would become a vast, uninhabitable swamp. Water solidifies at 32 degrees above zero. It would be disastrous if the oceans were subject to the law. However, for then the amount of thawing in the polar regions would not balance out and ice would accumulate throughout the centuries. Listen well. To prevent such a catastrophe, the Lord put salt in the sea to alter its freezing point. Isn't that amazing? Isn't our God an awesome, infinitely wise God? That's who He is. And that's why, again, even in judgment, even in discipline, We just have to acknowledge the wisdom of God. but At the same time, we appeal to His mercy. And this is what we see here. Uh, Habakkuk was requesting for mercy in the midst of God's will. Notice what he says. In wrath, remember mercy. He was saying, Lord, we deserve the judgment. We deserve this discipline. We deserve your chastisement. But Lord, you're a merciful God. So Lord, even as you judge us, even as you discipline us, Lord, please remember mercy. And God is merciful. Amen? Our God is a merciful God and we can appeal to Him for that. So here in verse 3, we find that Habakkuk perceives the glory of God. First of all, God's glory in the past. Let's read verse 3 at this time. It says, God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. Now, Teman is one of the chief settlements in Edom. Paran is the mountainous area between Edom and Mount Sinai, which is now still part of Egypt. Habakkuk must have been relating a vision or he could have had an actual sighting of, you know, the glory of God. That could have happened, but probably what he was referencing here was what had happened when when Moses uh, and together with the Israelites were delivered from Egypt and they were able to cross this particular area and they saw the glory of God. And basically, if that is true, what this is telling us is that God was glorious in the past. Now, how many here have seen the glory of God in your past. Amen? You've seen the glory of God. I've seen the glory of God. My wife almost died several years back. She suffered a neurogenic shock and a cardiac arrest, and there was, there was, no, there was no pulse. Her chest was rock hard, and she was not breathing anymore. Her, her fingers were turning black and blue, which meant there was no oxygen anymore. God brought her back. God brought her back from that near-death experience. I have seen the glory of God. You have seen the glory of God. Amen. We have seen God's goodness in our lives. And then it says here, Salah. What does Salah mean here? It occurs 71 times in Psalms and three times in Habakkuk. Although its precise meaning is unknown, it is most likely a musical term, which once again tells us this was not just a prayer, this was a song. God loves singing. God loves music. It could also be a signal to lift up the hands or voice in worship. It could be an exclamation like an amen or a hallelujah, and rightly so. I mean, when you experience the glory of God, what else should you you and I be doing? We should be lifting our hands and lifting our voices and saying amen and hallelujah, amen. That's the only proper response to the glory of God. But let me tell you one other thing. Lest you think that the glory of God belongs to the past, the glory of God is still in the present. And that's exactly what what Habakkuk is saying here. He says, his splendor covers the heavens. That's present tense. And the earth is full of his praise. The glory of God is always present. It is seen in every generation of his creation. The Bible says, His glory is glorious such that it covers the entire heavens. And I'll be sharing to you something later on. Well, maybe let me share it right now. Nearly 200 years before Christ, the astronomer Hipparchus cataloged about 850 stars. He thought this was the total number that existed, and this was considered still accurate about 300 years uh, still uh, into that. But with the invention of the telescope by Galileo, millions of new heavenly bodies could be viewed. And the world soon learned that the earlier count was absolutely incomplete. No one today can tell us exactly how many there are, but astronomers estimate, listen well, that an average of 100 billion stars (coughs) are found just in one galaxy. And in so far as our telescopes are concerned, our most powerful telescopes, we can only view right now about 10 billion galaxies. 10 billion galaxies. Just try to imagine that. 100 billion stars in 10 billion galaxies. You cannot count that. It is so mind-blowing that it is amazing that Habakkuk, even before the invention of the powerful telescopes, could say, His splendor covers the heavens. Amen? Amen? His splendor covers the heavens. And not only that, He says here, the earth is full of His praise. The earth is full of the glory of God. Amen? It's full of the glory of God. The only problem sometimes is we don't see it. But you know what the book of Acts says? In Him we live and move and have our being. Our God is everywhere. He is here and He is everywhere. And our God is a glorious God. He is a God of splendor and might. And He deserves the highest praise. Amen. Give Him glory, brothers and sisters. Give Him praise. Hallelujah. And when we've done that, probably we could end with a salah. And say, Lord, what else can we say? We have no words. But we silently stand in awe before you and in your presence. And we say to you, Lord, amen. Hallelujah. You deserve it. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we... We thank you for this time. Thank you for showing us, Lord, your glory. But we also understand that your glory was seen in its greatest form at the cross. Because at the cross, we saw for ourselves perfect humility. We saw for ourselves perfect love. And we saw for ourselves perfect sacrifice. And so, yes, Lord, the heavens and the earth are full of your glory. But even the cross as an instrument of death and shame was glorious. Because it was the Son of God that was nailed to it. And we remember that today, Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's table. May we be in silent awe and worship of all your goodness and love as we remember your sacrifice for all of our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We just want to worship you, O oh God. We just want to thank you. oh Jesus, where would we be without the cross? Whatever blessings we have, whatever privileges we have, whatever peace we have, whatever joy we have, whatever good things we have, it's all because of the cross. And because of the cross, when our time is up, we can look forward to seeing you face to face. And Lord, we will find ourselves bowing and prostrating ourselves before you, knowing, Lord, you deserve it all. You deserve all the worship and all the glory and all the praises. And thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for reminding us about your glory and the wisdom of your ways. Lord, at times we get confused. At times we're blindsided by our trials and our adversities. But Lord, thank you that through Habakkuk, through the study of this book, we're able to see, Lord, beyond Our trials and difficulties and adversities and what we see is your glory what we see is the wisdom of your ways what we see is a perfect God and perfect in all his ways thank you for today thank you for the opportunity to give our tithes our grace gifts and our offerings Lord use them for the glory of your holy name and Lord Whatever has been achieved today, we give you back all the praises, the thanks.